Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Now, this week I'm joined by America's most recognized female psychologist, four-time best-selling author, TV and radio host, and proudly an, an honor for us, a Higher Branch faculty member, Dr. Jen Mann. Now, Dr. Jen has a bachelor's degree in mass communications, journalism, a master's in clinical psychology, and a doctorate in psychology. And she specializes in marriage, children, and family therapy. Now, she has been in the psychology field for two decades and owns a private practice in Beverly Hills, California. Today, she joins me to talk specifically about the scenarios that make or break relationships, the myths behind sex droughts, the hidden signs that your relationship is over, and how to navigate a separation when there are children involved. Now, I assure you this episode is thought-provoking and will certainly stimulate a lot of conversation in your household. And on that note, uh, Dr. Jen Mann, welcome. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. Always an honor. Now, the last time uh, we spoke and recorded a podcast together, it was a brief one. It was immediately after you came off stage at Upgrade Your Life in January 2020, which seems like a long distant memory. It does, but I have to say it is my last great memory prior to the virus hitting the United States. It really was one of the most incredible experiences, not just as a speaker, but just being in the audience and hearing all the amazing people that you brought on stage and the experts and the experiences that you and your team provided for all of us. It was absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And we, I look forward to having it again and seeing you in person. We were supposed to visit you in Los Angeles in June, July, and uh, had to cancel for obvious reasons. But um, yeah. yeah, absolutely looking forward to catching up in, in person. And until then, I guess we, we have this. Us too. Yes. yes. <laughs> and we're so fortunate <laughs> to live in an era where we have the technology that allows us to, to still connect and allow people such as yourself, thought leaders and experts, to share their knowledge and share their thought leadership for the benefit of humanity. And again, I can't thank you enough for taking time out to share what I think are going to be really thought-provoking topics, but very important topics at a time where people are still under not so much physical restrictions anymore in Australia, but a lot of emotional restrictions. And we still have this dark cloud of COVID-19 hovering over us. And for our listeners as well, we have listeners in North America and throughout Europe. So we're going to discuss relationships. And specifically, Jen, I want to talk about your book, The Relationship Fix, and the six-step guide you have in that to improving communication, connection, and intimacy at a time where relationships under so much strain, because people are spending so much time together, and people are stressed as well. For everyone listening, sit back, relax, and take in what is the thought leadership for one of my favorite people on the planet who also <laughs> held the record at Upgrade Your Life for using the F word more times than David Goggins. 
<laughs> Am I allowed to use that word here on your podcast? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, we good. Now I feel at home. <laughs> Jen, how can couples improve their communication, connection, and intimacy? Really, the most important thing and what most couples don't realize, they think that there's some magic and there's some incredibly difficult kind of complicated form of communication that they have to learn but really the foundation for relationships is connection and what we know from looking at studies there is a a, a brilliant researcher named m gary newman who did a study of men who cheat and women who cheat and what you would think is oh people who cheat they are just looking for sex but what he found was that was not the case at all what he found that for men, 72% of the time, for women, I'm sorry, 93% of the time, and for women, 92% of the time, that the reason why they cheated was because of a lack of connection and or connection and sexual connection. So it's about the emotional connection. That was what the, was brought. For some, yes, sex was an issue, but for all lack of emotional connection was it. So the key is emotional connection. I have a, a colleague that says, when your husband's chewing annoys you, it means the connection is not there and you got to focus on the connection. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because when couples are connected emotionally, they're more likely to be having sex. They're more likely to be talking. It's like when I was in college, I dated a guy who bought cars fixed them up and then sold them. And I remember he had this one car that he bought and he put so much time and energy for months and months. He labored over it and he painted it and he reupholstered it and he replaced the engine and he put so much work in. By the end of it, he was so attached to it that he didn't want to sell it. And relationships are like that. When we invest in it, when we spend a lot of time and energy and we nurture it, we're less likely to walk away from it so easily. Yeah, so is that one of the six steps then? Connection is, the, it, of the six chapters, it's fighting fairly, negotiating, healing childhood wounds, forgiveness and, and making amends, yep. and, and sex. It's all of these components are what we need to have a great foundation for a relationship. And if the connection is not there, for most people in long-term relationships, the sex isn't going to be there. And a lot of the time we make the mistake of going, especially when it comes to men. I think a lot of women in particular go, oh, men just want sex. You know, men in long-term relationships typically want connection. And if they're connected, if they're pissed off at their wife, if they're annoyed, if they feel disrespected, if they don't feel appreciated, they're less likely to want sex and vice versa. Yes, I remember there was something you said to me off stage that I remember clearly, and that is to build men or couples, they want to be seen, heard, uh, understood, and accepted. Yeah. That, so that's critical for that connection to happen. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So what is the one biggest challenge that are facing couples uh, at the moment? So you're doing couples therapy and family therapy. And individuals. I see a lot. I would say that probably, even though I'm most known for couples and probably family, yeah. I would say that probably 80% of my practice is individuals and then the rest is mostly right now couples and some families. But being for in the United States right now, 
we are in, far more restricted than you guys are in Australia, although I'm sure you guys still have the memory of it that still exists in all of your relationships. And also in Europe, what I'm seeing a lot of is that the stress of being in a pandemic, a lot of people having lost their jobs, being stuck at home with a partner, no matter how much you love them, being around them 24-7 is pretty intense. And not having your usual outlets has been very hard on couples. Usually if you have a conflict, you have a fight, you can go meet a, a friend for dinner, you can go see a movie, you can go hit the gym, you can do all these things. And a lot of our healthy coping skills are no longer available. So couples are like this steam pot that is just like boiling over. I have a, a colleague that told me she went for a walk around the block in her neighborhood wearing a mask and the whole thing. And she said that she walked by two separate homes where the couples were screaming at each other so loudly they could be heard from the street. And I just thought that was the perfect illustration of how stressful this has become and we tend to take out our stressors on the people close to us and that's usually our husband wife partner spouse boyfriend girlfriend absolutely what are some of the uh, pressure re release mechanisms that you're teaching uh, couples i'm talking um, i'm talking a lot about developing other skills or utilizing skills that some people have but didn't need to rely on so much. You know, a lot of meditation, exercise at home. Usually if people are talking to me, they're in, in therapy, either they're, they're my client or they're pro-therapy, but really utilizing your, your therapy. And if you're someone who's in therapy, doing check-in sessions in between therapy sessions. Sometimes people are saying like, oh, I want to do more therapy, but I can't afford it. But most therapists don't charge for check-in sessions. So keeping the support system going. Um, also really getting emotional support in other places and scheduling it. Like I have every Thursday morning, I work out via FaceTime with my best friend in Washington, D.C. So we're able to connect and support each other and see each other's faces and so we've all had to get very creative, doing double dates, doing couples dates via Zoom dinners, just really planning social things. Because instead of just picking up the phone and calling someone, knowing, oh, 8 o'clock, I have a, a date with my friend. Oh, we're doing a double date with that couple we like. Oh, we're having drinks with them. Even if you're not leaving your house, it's still important to have that social outlet and to see some different faces. Yes. Yeah. So... I'm hearing a lot about people who are emotionally cheating now online. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and yeah. having Facebook relationships and, yeah. and that spiked uh, yeah. <laughs> because people are bored. Although the restrictions have lifted in Australia, a lot of people are still under self-imposed lockdown, if you like. Sure, they're laying low. And I think also a lot of people probably developed agoraphobia or are scared of, it, of the virus coming back which I think is, is wise. Yes. Is that something that you've heard about in, uh, in California at the moment where there's a lot of emotional cheating by people having these relationships online, on Zoom, on Facebook, on you know, any form of technology where they're connecting with other people? I think that what we're seeing a lot of is that there are a lot of couples, especially in the states where the virus is rampant, that they feel like, oh, I don't want to leave this relationship because if I 
I'm not in this relationship. I can't really date without taking a significant risk. So I'm going to stick in something that isn't really working that well, but I'm holding on to this vine, but I'm grabbing the next vine before I make a swing for it. And I think that there are a lot of people who are looking to get emotional comfort that they're not getting in their relationship, who are reaching outside of their relationship because they can't go and cheat and have sex or go and visit someone without the partner. Wait, what do you mean? Where are you going? Most people just kind of go to the market. So like <laughs> you can't be going to the market too often. Otherwise it's going to be a little suspicious. And also if you're responsible, you're not going to be cheating with someone who could give you the virus and then you bring it home. So I think that a lot of people are doing that. And I also think that it's easier to justify, Oh, I'm not having sex oh, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. But anything that you have to hide from your partner, any kind of communication that you wouldn't show your partner and be okay with it, that's a problem. Yes, yes, okay. I'm glad you said that because there was an article uh, published last week and I'm not sure if it was Australian, but it was on the Apple News and there's a lot of people uh, who are emotionally cheating but... Uh, who are connecting with others that they don't know, never met physically, but they're having Zoom masturbation sessions together. Yep. And yeah. uh, I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine. He said, oh, that's not cheating. And I said, well, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, look, unless you have an agreement with your spouse, we both agree that if you do Zoom masturbation sessions with other people, <laughs> I'm cool with that, then yeah. it's cheating. Anything that is not in your agreement. Look, there are plenty of couples who have open relationships, but even couples who have open relationships or who have it successfully, if for you that's a success, have rules to that. And there are a lot of them. People who are experienced with open relationships have a lot of rules and talk about a lot of this and process it on a regular basis in order to do it. Okay. Yeah, that's really good advice. So there's a few topics we didn't get to talk about last time because we were rushed for time. We had to go back sure. up, upstairs on stage. But there's topics that are taboo or a little bit uh, racy for some people. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to do a deep dive uh, into okay. that. So some of the topics include, well, and this is a, a saying in Italian where they say it doesn't matter where you get your appetite as long as you eat at home. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are some people that stimulate their sexual appetite mm -hmm. by having these emotional relationships online with others. And yet there are mm -hmm. some that rely on pornography or rely on alcohol to get in the mood. Mm -hmm. Those things, I mentioned three things, non-physical emotional relationships with people online, mm -hmm. uh, pornography and alcohol to stimulate intimacy between couples that have been together for a long time. Are they wrong, three things? Some yes, some no, and some depending. So let's hit them okay. one by one. Yeah, sure. um, in terms of the emotional cheating, I think that's probably the most dangerous, actually. It's the sl most slippery slope. And typically, in my clin clinical experience, and I think you mentioned the intro, 20 years, I actually need to update my bio because I'm hitting now 30 years of clinical experience. Wow. But what I see typically is that most affairs start with emotional cheating. It's that emotional connection that is the slippery slope that gets people 
out of their relationship, betraying their partner, hopping in bed with someone. And I think that most couples, especially in this day and age where it's easy to go on Facebook and connect with your kindergarten girlfriend, it's easy to get direct message on Instagram by someone who you ran into from your past, some ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. We live in a very boundaryless society where opportunity exists on many different levels and technology has made it easier to escape from our relationship. And you always want to look at if you're putting that much energy outside of the relationship, that's energy that you're not putting into the relationship. So instead of fixing whatever is wrong in the relationship that you're going outside the relationship to seek emotional support, connection, intimacy, all that sort of stuff, you want to look at what's not happening in the relationship. And the harder question for most people, because we're very good at pointing the finger and saying, oh, she's a terrible wife. Oh, he's an awful husband. Oh, he's so mean. She's so bitchy. Whatever it is. Instead, what am I not doing in this relationship? Where am I not bringing my A game? What could I be doing better? How could I be a better partner? How can I be a better spouse? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. What can I do when I was originally touring to talk about my book, a woman asked me, if I read your book and my husband won't, will it help the relationship? And the answer is yes. And it's not just my book, The Relationship Fix. It's really any book that gives you sound relationship advice. Because we exist in a system as a couple. And when one person in the system changes, it changes the whole system. Can one person completely change the relationship with the other person is completely unwilling and rigid? No, absolutely not. But there is a domino effect. When one person changes, typically the other person starts to change as well. Yes. Yep. So that's the emotional part. Yep. In terms of the porn, I think porn can be a great tool to help couples, especially couples in long-term relationships, get the excitement going, get the blood flow going, get people in the mood. Especially one of the things that there's been a lot of research about is that a lot of women in long-term relationships, especially, but it exists for men too, but not as much. It's far more women, is that the arousal the way it works changes over time. And that what we found is that there are a lot of women where arousal doesn't precede sex. And if you're one of these people, you'll know it because what happens is when you do have sex with your partner, you find yourself going, man, why don't we do that more often? Like, hey, this is actually really good, but getting yourself there may be difficult. And for a lot of those people, what happens is that they expect to feel desire before sex, but what oftentimes happens is they're not feeling desire till they're in the midst of sex. And it can be complicated if that's you, what you want to start to do is do some of the pre-game work, and porn can be part of that, can be part of that, fantasy can be part of that, even just shaving your legs, putting on some cute undergarments, like getting yourself ready to be sexy can really help create that positive sexual vibe. So porn can be very helpful in a relationship. That said, there are people who in their relationship 
are so focused on the porn that they're neglecting their partner or who have become compulsive about porn or are watching so much porn that it's almost numbing them to in-person, in vivo experiences. And that can be a problem. And that's what, where I wanted to uh, get to, in fact, yeah. because I'm anti-porn when it comes yeah. to uh, those things because I, I think it numbs a person's ability to connect physically once sure. they do come with their partner. Yeah. And uh, the other point is that if a person is what you call pregame and <laughs> just getting mm-hmm. yes. primed uh, yeah. th- uh, through watching porn, well, they may get to a state of thinking, I can just masturbate. I don't need to have sex with my Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, if you're not saving it for your partner, if you're going all the way and then you got nothing left for your partner, that's going to hurt your relationship, if that's, especially if that's a pattern. Right. I guess that's the minefield that people need to navigate. But yes, what thing is, if it's like anything, if used correctly, it can be beneficial. Yep. It's a double-edged sword. For sure, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the third component? Now, alcohol. <laughs> alcohol. Alcohol, that's right. That's- and drugs and alcohol look right now, at least in the States, have spiked enormously since yeah. the pandemic has hit the alcohol sale, drug sale has just skyrocketed. So there's a lot of numbing going on. There's a lot of distracting going on. People are using it a lot to deal with the anxiety that a lot of people are feeling during all of this. When it comes to drugs and alcohol and a relationship, I think that most people, even without the stress of a pandemic, I think that most people are not thoughtful enough about their use. And I know that this is not a popular perspective to take, but what I see a lot, if you find yourself feeling like, oh, I need to have even a glass of wine every night, you gotta ask yourself, what's going on? What are the tools or skills that I have not learned that I need to learn to self-soothe, to calm myself down, to be present with my partner, to do whatever it is? I've been around the block. It's not that I've never had a drink or a drug or anything. And my parents are songwriters, for God's sakes. (laughs) I've been around the block. But I think it, yes. And And I, but I think it's really important for people to look at how often they're using it. Do they feel like they can go a night, a week, a month without it? And if you start to panic, as I, the, amount of time got bigger, then you really want to do a little soul searching on what am I using this for and what skills do I need to develop? I also think when it comes to couples and drugs and alcohol, when we're drinking or we're using, we're not present with our partner. And when we're not present with our partner, it's not great for the relationship. Look, here and there, no big deal. But if on a night-to-night basis you are zoning out and you are numbing yourself and you're not present, you got to ask yourself, what, am, what are, is my struggle? Is it hard for me to be emotionally intimate? And right now, being locked up with people who we love, who we're in intimate relationships with, it requires a lot of us intimacy-wise. And most people struggle on some level with having emotionally intimate relationships. Absolutely. And it's getting more and more difficult. And that's why I can imagine that there are lots of couples, a lot of couples in Australia use alcohol as the pregame 
lubricant, if you like, to get in the mood. And that's their only yep. way. That's addiction. It's, they don't know any other way. Yeah. So what you're saying is that if it's a, an addiction where it's a reliance on that, it's not healthy. But yeah. And if you find that you can't have sex or enjoy sex without having a glass of wine first, you want to look at what is it about my history that I need to have that in my system to have sex? Do I have trauma that I haven't dealt with? Do I have ambivalence or shame around sex? Am I not communicating well in bed so it's not a great experience and I need to have a glass of wine to get myself through it? You want to look at what is going on that you're needing that to have sex with your partner. And if people need to take that journey, they should really do that with a therapist to learn why. Ideally, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, staying on this physical intimacy in a relationship, another phenomena that's going on in Australia is that the amount of people that are now working out is just skyrocketing. So people are obsessed with eating well, you know, exercising. They're pursuing with a passion this sculpted body with a six-pack for guys and a booty for girls. Now, there are a lot of couples where one partner has gone off on that tangent, but the other partner has remained the same. And I can tell you, I've come across a lot of couples like that, especially where I'm based, which is the eastern suburbs in Sydney, which is a little bit like Beverly Hills, where typically the female who's now looking amazing is just saying, you're not good enough for me anymore. Promiscuity and cheating is now rampant. Because because people are are cheating with the people that they're working out with, like they're yeah, and the gym, the gym groupies. There are yeah, it's it's like this cult, if you like, that people are joining. Do you have anything to say about or? Well, I have a lot to. I have a lot to say, and you guys don't yet have Peloton. Do you know what Peloton is? I saw it when I was in New York, but we still don't have it. Yeah, because Peloton is the rage in the States right now. Peloton is a bike that has like a, it looks like a TV screen attached to it. And you can stream classes live or on demand. They also have a treadmill, the same thing, live or on demand. And they have all of these classes you can take. So there are a lot of people who are doing that at home. And there's a lot of talk here about what we call a glow up during COVID. And that's where you basically lose a lot of weight, you get healthy, you you take care of your skin, all that sort of stuff. So look, I think that there are a lot of reasons why this is happening. One is I think that we're home and and there are some people who are overeating, who are drinking too much, who are just really struggling with self-care. And then there are other people who are going to the opposite extreme and really focusing in on, on what they need to do to take care of themselves. It's a the other thing, <laughs> yeah. yes. And the other thing, and I think that this is a huge factor, is that we have been forced to face our mortality on a whole other level. And we, most people at some point know someone who has lost a loved one to COVID. And it hits closer and closer to home for many of us. And it makes you want to be healthy. It makes you want to make sure your lungs are healthy. It makes you want to feel like this is one thing I can control about my health. And I'd like to be fit. And not to mention that there is some research that says that 
obesity or being overweight can really be a contributing factor or more a comorbidity when it comes to how people do with this virus. So I think that's a factor as well. And look, there are a lot of couples where there was already somewhat of a divide of, oh yeah, I'm into working out. Oh, I'm not so much, but it's gone to more of an extreme because like I mentioned with the first example, that there are people who cope with this in a way that's about self-care and people who get self-destructive. And when those two people are in a couple together, it can cause a rift. Absolutely. So how do you avoid that when, and the partner that's going off on their health kick can't drag the other one kicking and screaming if they don't believe them. And I was with a couple recently, we were having dinner together and yeah, that was an arm wrestle over dinner. We, he's saying, I don't want to work out. I, I want to drink my beer. And I want, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and I, th- I think that part of it is, yes, sure, you've got free will in a relationship. But also part of it is we should always be looking if our partner holds something near and dear to them. And there's something that they're doing that has made them healthier, that will probably help their life expectancy and it's becoming a core part of who they are and what they value and what they're about, you want to pay attention. And it's not that you have to do everything that your partner does by any means, but at the very least, you need to value it. And look, I am a Peloton addict. And especially since COVID, I've been in the the camp of like self-care, doing the best that I can. Fortunately, Eric, my partner, is as well. But he's not a Peloton person. But you can bet, because he's a good partner and he's read my book, (laughs) that if I talk about my Peloton workout, he listens as if it is of the utmost importance to him because he knows it's important to me. And part of being a good partner is, even if you're not going to do the same thing as your partner, really listening with a thoughtful ear and a supportive ear and to be able to say, tell me more about your workout. Wow, you beat your record. Tell me more about that. What was that like for you? And I do think if that divide gets too big, you've got some problems coming. Yeah, but that's a really good tip. So take an interest. Uh, Don't try and put them down. Take an interest and support them. Uh, because yeah. by not taking an interest, it's consistent with what you said earlier, that people cheat because of the emotional disconnection. But by praising them, supporting them, uh, then yeah. you're maintaining that emotional connection, and which means that person's less likely to cheat. And, and I, I say in my book, you want to become an expert in your partner. And if you're a partner, you have a wife who loves horses. She loves riding. Yes. And if you don't talk about that with her, you're missing an important part of her life, something that she's passionate about, that she cares about, that is dear to her, that you're missing a part of her heart, part of her soul, part of her passion. So you want to participate in that because that's exciting for her and it makes her feel connected to you. And I I also talk about in the book that if you don't show an interest in the things that are important to your partner, there's someone else out there who will. And maybe it will be that trainer at the gym, like you talked about with the people who you're seeing and reading about that are going to the gym and having affairs with their trainers. Or maybe it will be that ex-girlfriend they ran into at the market who contacted them on Facebook. So it's important you want to be that person for your partner and not give anyone else the room to connect with them there. Absolutely. 
And by connecting with them, then even though you have separate interests, it gives you that flavor in your relationship to initiate intimacy. And that's what leads to sexual connection, which leads me to my next question, which is a little bit personal, but what is the best sexual position for couples to connect emotionally whilst they're having sex? Can certain people, I don't want to say women, because it could be men as well, Mm -hmm. can they disconnect from the act if they just feel like it's just sex? And I heard someone recently at a dinner party saying, when we do it doggy style, just it's like a sex act. It's not really, it's not intimate enough uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, so are there, and, have you heard this before and ha- are there some oh, yeah. positions that are more suitable for couples that are in a loving relationship and that foster, well, look, that, nurture, yes. that, that, that stoke emotional connection, not just the physical during that act? Yes. And I need to preface it with one thing before I say that. I am of the belief that couples in intimate long-term relationships need to know how to do three things when it comes to sex. They need to know how to make love, how to have sex, and how to fuck. Okay. And it's important to be able to do all three. And that if we're not able to do the third because, we're, oh, but that's my wife. Oh, that's my husband. It's, that's the person who we need to be able to do that with. Because when we're not able to do that and explore that darker side of sex, that shadowy side of sex, then goes underground and that's when people are more likely to have affairs and act out and do terrible things that hurt their partners. So what's the difference between sex and... Fucking is dirtier. Fucking (laughs) is... It it can mean talking about sexual fantasies that are not politically correct. It can mean acting them out. It can mean, for some couples, it can mean watching porn. It can be positions that you may think, oh, a husband and a wife shouldn't do this. It can mean wearing things that are funkier. It can mean trying acts that maybe you thought were taboo. But what we know, and and there's a great study that looked at couples who are satisfied with their sex lives. I think it was like 15 years into the relationship. And I have a a list in my book of all of the common denominators that they found for couples who are as happy in their long-term relationships with their sex life as they were six months in. And these are the factors. These are the trying different positions. It's anal sex, oral sex, talking about sex. One of the great things that I really loved in this study was that they said that couples who are satisfied did the research about how to improve their sex life. But unlike the couples who were not satisfied, they actually acted on it. So both groups did some research, but it was the ones who have a great sex life years and years later that actually acted on it and tried out new things. So to answer your question, for a lot of couples, the most intimate sex position is going to be where there's eye contact. But for some couples, that's going to be too intense. That may not be right. Maybe doggy style looking in a mirror might be better. Or maybe something that feels, oh, wow, this is a position I wouldn't do with anyone but you because it's so unflattering, but wow, that feels so good. So there are a lot of dynamics that go into it. But to me, it's what is special to you and that person and what makes it feel intimate to you. And to be 
to have a great sex life, you have to be able to talk about all of it. You have to be able to say, oh, this position scares me, but I'd like to try it with you. Or, oh, that one I don't really like. Or I wish you would touch me here. We do that there. It's all about that communication. And that's what really creates intimacy is when you can give your partner sexual feedback in a loving, non-critical way that allows them to please you and you to please them. And you can talk about anything. Makes a lot of sense. So obviously when you're making love, there's three pillars there that you mentioned. Eye contact yeah. is critical. Yeah. Thing. And when you're having sex or fucking, <laughs> is, <Yes>. is <laughs> to, uh, then anything goes, but it's catering yeah. to that person's inner fantasies, deep desires. Yeah. That was, I think, romanticised in that movie. What was it? Fifty Shades of Grey? Is it? Sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, yeah. They talk about kinky fuckery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. the reason why I, I raised the question, I was recently at a barbecue and there was um, yeah. a group of men. We all split into groups and one of the guys was talking explicitly about what he did with his wife. And, <laughs> and the other guy, one of the guys, <laughs> yeah. was like, like his jaws dropped and he said, oh my gosh, she is the mother of my children. I would never do that with my wife, you know? And that's what I'm talking about. That's a problem. That okay. to me is a really big problem. But I got to tell you that most of the guys looked at the, the first guy who was yeah. talking explicitly like he was yeah. Caligula. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah. there's something wrong with you, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, but maybe deep down they... Look, to me, what's, what's, what's wrong with that, and look, maybe he and his wife have that agreement, is that he's talking about it. Because to me... It's challenging to have really great sex where you say anything, do anything, try anything, do crazy shit if your partner is going to report it to his friends. That's down on your freedom of expression because, look, here's the thing, and Esther Perel's talks about this a lot. Great sex is not politically correct. Sometimes our fantasies, it doesn't matter if you're a feminist, if you're into civil rights, social justice issues. Sometimes sex is about domination and submission and power and control and things from our history. There's a, a, a famous quote, tell me how you fuck and I'll tell you about your childhood. And it's yep. our, everything from our history impacts how we have sex. And their imprints, whether it's the first naked magazine, the first porn we saw, whatever it is that, influences how we have sex and when we get into that oh i can't do that because it's my wife that desire to do that doesn't go underground and if you're not going to do it with your wife who you can do it with because eventually if it's something you really want if you don't even talk about it with your wife you don't have to do everything you want but you need to at least be able to talk about it in an atmosphere that's not judgmental and I think that's where a lot of couples go wrong. And that's that, oh, I can't do it because she's my wife. Are you afraid she's going to judge you? Are you afraid she's going to think you're terrible? Are you afraid that she's going to think you're kinky? Like, what does she not tell you that she might like to do? Yes. And this was um, what you just talked about was depicted in a movie, uh, in a series that I watched recently, Billions, where... Yeah, I, have, I haven't watched all of the seasons, though. So Chuck yeah. Rhodes and yeah, he, his wife openly communicate and he was like this respected attorney general and politician and she was this psychologist, but they were 
into he was and she catered to it but it was so yeah. open and it was so like out in the open which yeah. is very unusual i i grew up in a catholic family and everything was guilty <laughs> right so <laughs> yeah everything was laden with guilt i remember the first time of i saw uh, yeah. a porno at school yeah. one of the students um uh, put it up and i couldn't sleep for a week <laughs> and i was yeah. my halories and our fathers and <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you recall in Billions, uh, it was so yeah. perfectly... Different. Didn't he like to be dominated by her? That's right, yes, yeah. yeah. So look, that, that, I hope that's given a lot of people who are listening right now just a lot of food for thought and, uh, and it, it may open up certain aspects in their relationship where they feel like they need to get advice and you yeah. should. We're not experts in these things. We might be expert bankers, lawyers, real estate yes. agents, homemakers whatever our vocation is, it doesn't make us an expert in relationships. And we were never taught, yeah. we were never given a sex handbook before yeah. entering into a relationship. And, and, that, and look, I tried so to write to have it. You. <laughs> yeah, I did try to write the handbook to both relationships and sex in relationships with my book, The Relationship Fix. But I think you bring up such a, an important point, And that is about that communication, how difficult that communication is and how much shame most people have. And I think that there are a lot of couples who say, oh yeah, no, we communicate really well about sex. But there's oftentimes a huge gap between what we talk about and what we fantasize about. What we would like to do with our partner, what we actually do because of exactly what you talked about with the guy at the barbecue, that, oh, I couldn't do that with my wife. That's exactly who you should be doing doing it for and yeah. with <laughs> and ironically i think yeah. he has probably the most successful marriage because they're always happy <laughs> oh i'm sure look they obviously know they can do anything say anything try anything without judgment and yeah. it sounds like he, he is very free about that and here's the thing and and we've all at some point in our life had a partner who was really judgmental where we're like, oh, I can't say anything, I can't do anything, or a partner who was super accepting. Yes. And when you have a partner who is, you can say anything, you can do anything, nothing freaks them out, no sound, no fluid, no words, no anything that will upset them, shake them, freak them out, you tend to have better sex. Yes, and you, you probably have a better connection as well, a deeper, more yeah. meaningful connection because nothing is taboo. You're not hiding anything. Yeah, really good stuff for us uh, to think about. Now, my next question, Jen, is something we talk about often with my group of friends, and that is, oh, are sex droughts healthy in a relationship? Because we go yeah. through periods where it's a drought. For whatever yeah. reason, you get too busy or you don't think about yep. it or you stop, yeah. you stop trying hard. Like I remember during COVID, that's all we could think about was of course. stay safe. And then it was like, yeah. sex, that's the last thing on my mind. <laughs> right? Yeah, because you're in survival mode. Exactly. You know? yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, sex droughts are a very normal part of a healthy relationship. The key is to talk about it and to break the drought, to not let it go on for too long. A certain amount of it is normal. And also there are a lot of life events that bring on a drought. Cancer, the birth of a baby, the death of a parent, a work crisis, financial stress, a pandemic, 
you know, your in-laws moving in with you. There are a lot of different life events that create droughts. And the key is to not let it go for too long. And that what most couples don't realize is that when you break the drought, the process of breaking the drought is going to feel weird. It's going to feel oftentimes almost incestuous because sometimes what happens is you're living in a house, you become very familial together, especially if you have children. It almost starts to feel like your brother or sister that you're living with. So there's almost like a little bit of an incest taboo when you get back on the horse again, so to speak. Then it feels awkward, it feels a little weird, but if both have to make a pact and just go, we're just gonna do it because we gotta bring this back into the repertoire. Let's just assume it's not gonna be good sex, but we just gotta have sex. Because also the other thing about sex is that sex begets sex. When you don't have sex, your hormone levels drop, you're less likely to want it, and you just, it's like the light switch goes off, and you got to put the light switch back on, even if it feels awkward and icky and weird and not so sexy. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, that sex begets sex. It's absolutely right. It's like you can't start at the gym and think you're going to get it right from day one, especially if you've been injured, say, or distracted with other things and go through a drought. And when you get back in, you're not going to lift the same. You're not going to have the right tempo, the right speed. Totally. Exactly. You're going to limp a little bit after the injury. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just going to be a little awkward and that's okay. You have to make a pact as a couple like, we're going to laugh. We're going to not take this too seriously. Let's assume it's going to be the worst sex we've ever had and we're just going to have fun with it and just go for it. Awesome. I love that. So yeah, how important then is comic relief or comedy or being lighthearted in a relationship? How important is it to just make fun? So I think the key is to both be on the same page because if one person's laughing in bed and the other is in a sensitive place, like they're going to feel like they're being laughed at and that can really do some damage. But if both of you are in the same mode and you're able to just laugh together, it can be really fun and bring you closer. Yes, yes, okay. I just got an image then of one partner being like a George Costanza, furious and neurotic. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yes. (laughs) Now, I I follow you on Instagram and uh, a lot of your posts recently are about an area which I think is so important for people who are just stuck in a relationship. And of course, it's almost like you're giving people with your posts the courage uh, to make it change. And and so I want to talk about navigating separation and knowing when to call it quits because you've been really talking about it and posting uh, beautiful quotes on that uh, topic because I think one of the saddest things really for to go through and fast to witness is to see someone who's in a miserable job or in a miserable place or in a miserable relationship and not doing anything about it because yes. some people feel like it's quitting but it's important to quit sometimes it's important to quit yep. the wrong job it's important to quit the wrong friendship it's important to quit the wrong uh, exercise routine it's important to quit yep. the wrong diet it's important to yep. quit the wrong relationship Yeah. And at the beginning of every season of my show, BH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen, it's a show where I do uh, 
couples therapy with American celebrity couples. And at the first session I do with all of the couples, I always say to them, not every relationship is meant to be saved. And I really believe that from the bottom of my heart. And when a relationship can't or should not be saved, to me, what is important is that that you did everything you could, especially if there are children involved, to try to save that relationship. And a lot of the time I get people who ask me the question, I, I, and I can't tell you how, how often I've been asked it since the pandemic, should I do couples therapy? I think I'm going to end up getting a divorce anyway. I'm pretty sure that's the direction this is going in. Should I just leave and save the time? And my answer is always, no, do the therapy. Because here's the thing. You're having problems and your communication is probably not so good. If you're actually leaving the marriage, you're not having great communication. Yes. If you've got kids and you're divorced, you're going to be dealing with this person and it's going to be even more difficult. You better learn those skills before you walk out of the relationship and at least try to work together to come up with a better way to communicate. It's a win to learn those skills or at least try. And also sometimes a therapist can lead you to a conclusion, whether it's to leave or to stay, that might surprise you. So what are the the telltale signs that lead you in a therapy session to tell couples, look, I think it's over, right? And now let's talk about navigating that separation. How do people know when to give up on a relationship? What are the telltale signs? Are they top five, top six? What are, what are I they? I mean, look, as a therapist, I always trust my gut. And there are a lot of times where people will come to me, they're not really looking for therapy. One person is looking to get out and they want a safe haven to leave the other person right. when they say I'm done. Yes. And if one person in the relationship is either done or is unwilling to do anything differently. And I've seen this, like I've seen it where like there where one person is, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that differently. No, I think I'm right. No, no, I'm not open to hearing anything. That's a relationship that's doomed because the system isn't working. And if both people aren't willing to change the system to some degree, nothing's going to change. And and, and at that point, you're going to have to leave. So I've heard you say there are three entities when it comes to couples. Mm -hmm. And one, you know, each couple is an entity, but then the third entity is the relationship. But should couples, especially couples with children, young children especially, should they put the relationship ahead of themselves? I think, I think any couple that's able to put the relationship before themselves, kids or no kids, are more likely to be able to work through the problems because in putting the relationship first, you're removing your ego to some degree. Yes, So what you're doing is you're saying it's not just all about me. What you're doing is you're saying I'm going to put the well-being of us first. Exactly, yes. So obviously it's on a case-by-case basis. And like you said, it's something that only a therapist really can see when the relationship is over 
but when you mentioned like there could be a one person in relationship who comes to the therapy session who says look i'm not going to change i'm going to put myself ahead of the relationship rightly or wrongly or a lot of the time it comes out as fix her or fix him okay right yeah, that's what it usually looks like right hey he or she is so screwed up you got to get them to behave differently or better i'd love to be a fly on the wall in your therapy sessions but oh it's a it's fascinating the work yeah. i do i i feel really lucky it's fascinating yeah so obviously you love it you've been doing it for three decades now even yeah. though the day over 32 but oh, thank you <laughs> love you sam i'll go on your podcast anytime <laughs> you're very welcome it's been an absolute pleasure we've talked about My a lot pleasure. of things and thank you again for your time i know you're extremely busy now with back-to-back appointments and we're extremely lucky to have you on the show today thank you Jen. my pleasure thank you so much for having me awesome i'll let you go good luck with everything okay. there in california thank you and yeah let's stay in touch great. all right jen we'll talk soon take care Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things a higher branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, a higher branch, and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over over to ahigherbranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook Guide to Greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book The Circle of Conscious Living which is due out later this year anyway thank you again for listening and I hope to be with you next time